2 Samuel chapter 6, and uh, we're going to start in verse 12. We've been in uh, Samuel for a while now. Uh, I'm really glad to be back in it. Last week was a great Father's Day, uh, be able to give that Father's Day message, but we're back in Samuel. Now, uh, Pastor Tina, many of you know who she is. She's our next-gen director at Life Church. She was originally scheduled to uh, preach this message today, um, but uh, about a week ago, she called me and she said, could you please preach that message? And I said, why, what's going on? Not that, not that I didn't want to. Well, I'm gonna be at camp all week. So she uh, was at camp all week, and, and, and how many have ever been to camp before? Yeah, it's draining. It's awesome, but it's draining. And so the last thing you want to try to do is exert the energy to preach. And so I said, sure, but Danya was at camp with her too. And so uh, I'm seeing <laughs> she's, she's slowly recovering from camp. But uh, some awesome stories, by the way, coming out of camp. We've had, we've had several students give their lives to Jesus. Uh, a couple got baptized. Some got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, if you want to hear some real Stories. You can talk, talk to Danya about that. We don't have the time right now, but it's been pretty um, amazing to hear about the life change and transformation in our students. And so totally, totally worth it, totally worth the, uh, the energy, and so totally worth it also for uh, me to give Pastor Tina the break and, and preach this. Now, uh, the last time we were in Samuel, uh, Pastor Micah was here, and I was at Noblesville, and I had promised Pastor Micah, uh, I won't burn down your campus if you don't burn down my campus. So uh, both campuses are still standing, so good, good for him, and uh, I heard it went really well. I'm glad for that. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, being in Noblesville, they have three services. By that third service, that is a lot in one day, but um, they're, they were, they're a great campus, but you're still my favorite, just for the record, so always will be. So, um, but what we read about the last time we were here is that David was wanting to do and trying to do the right thing, but he was doing it the wrong way. He wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. That's a good thing. There hadn't been a, a center of worship really for a while. The, the Ark of the Covenant used to be at the center of the tabernacle, but after a litany of things that had happened and after they had tried to use it in battle as a lucky charm, so to speak, and, and it didn't work out and just bad things happened, it just got kind of stored randomly in some guy's house for like 70 years. And so when David finally became king and took Jerusalem, it was time to uh, bring back a central place of worship. Those are all right things that David wanted to do. They're all right things. And so he went and he, um, uh, he got it, put it on a cart and, um, and he had it transferred on a cart. Now that seems practical, right? Like for them, that's, you know, modern technology. I've got a pickup truck, throw it in the pickup truck. Let's bring it. You know, there's no need to carry it or do any, un, uh, you know, unneeded labor, so to speak. And so it made sense. In fact, the Philistines before them, when they transferred the ark, they did the same thing. They put the ark on a cart and they sent it back to Israel because it was giving them all kinds of problems. And so they did the same thing. So it seemed to make sense. The, the issue was, and what happened was somebody in the process of trying to keep the ark from falling off the cart died. And you're left kind of wondering, why did that happen? Well, it was because David was doing the right thing, 
the wrong way. David expected God would see his intentions and bless him, but he was using the ways of the world to do the things of God. He was using the way that the Philistines did it to do what needed to be done. And that wasn't how God wanted to do it. See, we, we have this um, written into our, our minds, whether we say it or not, um, and, and sometimes we would agree with this, but sometimes this notion exists that the ends justifies the means, right? We need to get the ark in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter how we get to the, uh, the ark to Jerusalem. Let's just get the ark to Jerusalem. Well, it does matter how. Who does it matter to? It matters to God how the ark got moved. And he gave instructions in Numbers chapter 4 that it, it was to be moved by hand. They were supposed to take the poles and put them through the slats and carry them along, and it had to be the certain tribe that brought the, uh, the ark, and he didn't do any of those things. And so because of that, things went poorly. And he was using the ways of the world to do the things of God. It's an issue that we deal with today. We deal with trying to sometimes do the right things, but do them the wrong way. We do them the world's way, right? And we're going to see again today in today's passage that having the mindset of this world will short-circuit our worship, the presence of God, and his blessings in our life. That's what happened in that passage that, the last time we were there. We have to understand, it was logical for him to put it on the cart, but sometimes that which is logical is not always theological, right? That which makes sense to us doesn't necessarily make biblical sense. Sometimes it may sound right, but it's not right. The ends does not justify the means. There's a proverb that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. And we're seeing, we saw that in this last passage, and we actually see a little bit of that in today's passage. That's why I wanted to do that review. So the last verse of our last passage, verse 11, it says, The ark of the Lord remained in his house, Obed-Edom, for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family, which brings us to today. We have much to learn from today's passage, and we're going to dive into some deep issues. But at the core of this passage are foundational principles of worship. What worship is, what it isn't, what fuels worship, what stifles worship, how we worship, why we worship. It's all in these verses. And, uh, and so we're going to see some of that, but, but let's, let's just take it a verse at a time. Verse 12, it was reported to King David... The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because, the ark of God, because of the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. So the report um, that he receives here might have been received kind of like a all clear. After what happened last time, Uzzah dropping dead because he touched the ark, and they said just go put it in this guy's house. And for three months, good things happen. So maybe now everything's okay, right? And so after hearing that, David goes and says, all right, this time we're gonna get the ark. We're gonna do it right this time. And he moves forward with his plan. He just does it differently. But what I love here, it says that he goes to the city of David with rejoicing. He has great joy. And you're going to see joy all throughout this passage. Why? Well, for one, nobody's dying today. 
Like, okay, nobody's going to die today. So that's, that's kind of a big deal in David's life because you never know, right? And with all that he'd been through, this could have even been really surreal. Like, is this really happening? After everything that I've gone through, after being a fugitive and, and all the wars and all the civil war and everything that's going on, and I'm finally getting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and worship and bring everybody together and worship. Of course there was joy. The, the Ark of the Covenant was as the presence of God in its time. And there should always be joy when we consider the fact that God is with us. There should always be joy. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We may not always have happy circumstances, but the presence of God should always give us a sense of joy in our life, enough so that the world takes notice how we deal with even the unpleasant things because it's a staining joy. And David shows us this even in his difficulties long before we see it today. All the trials, all the things he goes through. You can go through the book of Psalms and see what he writes about them, and he still has a sense of joy in the Lord. We see that, right? And sometimes we don't have that as Christians. Sometimes that joy is lacking and I know nobody here is doing that. And if you think the person next to you is what the person I'm about to describe, do not elbow them. But sometimes, you know, well, bless the Lord. I've been serving him for umpteen years. It's been real hard, but it'll be worth it in the end. <laughs> sometimes we wonder why, why don't, why is it, why don't more people want to serve Jesus? Well, if that's what they see from the people who are serving Jesus or worse, of course they're not going to want to. And I have to say, if that's your MO with your faith in Jesus, you are missing something. I'm not saying a life for Jesus is easy or it always gives us happy circumstances, but let's not mix up joy and happiness. They're not the same thing. Happiness comes from and goes away and is tossed about by our circumstances. But joy is a state of being. And if you're being saved and if you're being restored and you're being defined by the finished work on the cross and God's using even the negative things in your life to make you more like Jesus, then joy should be your song. Because those problems you have are momentary they're temporary, and God will use them to your advantage. You don't see it yet, but it will happen. Remember Galatians 6, 9, we just read it. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, we'll see a harvest. And David was an expert at allowing joy to inform his circumstances. That's why we have the book of Psalms. And when you read it, you find it so relatable. When you don't feel joyful, remind yourself of your state of being and make choices based on that and not your feelings. One of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. It is well with my soul. When I'm dealing with troubles and it seems like things are falling down all around me, 
the one thing I can come back to because of Jesus is that it is well with my soul and whatever I'm going through might be temporarily difficult but my eternal soul is settled in the arms of Christ and because of that I can have great joy David calls it the joy of your salvation in Psalm 51 there's great joy verse 13 when those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf I just want to point out they were carrying the ark this time it wasn't on a cart they were doing it the right way David was doing the right thing the right way verse 14 David was dancing with all his might before the Lord wearing a linen ephod he and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the ram's horns so it wasn't just David doing this it was the whole house of Israel working together David as king was participating with the rest of the people you know shoulder to shoulder a practice that some people may have had an issue with we'll see that later but either way they are doing God's work together and there's great joy in that when we are serving God together there should be great joy in that also when we work together for God that's why it's Dream Team Sunday. When we serve together, there should be great joy. Sometimes there's not, but most of the time there should be. Yesterday we had our, our food pantry. We served, uh, I think, 86 families yesterday. Uh, and the food pantry is always enjoyable. There's always joy. Everybody who's ever served, am I right? It's, it's, it's always just a good time. We have a great time. Why? Because we're serving the Lord together. You might have had a crazy bad week for three hours, two, three hours on a Saturday, giving away groceries and praying with people together with 20 or 30 other people at your church. There is great joy in that. And there ought to be. When we come together for the cookout on the 16th and we start giving away school supplies, I know there's lots of details and many of you are going to be helping with that, setting up, tearing down, and all those things, but we should take great joy in what's happening there because we could be spending our time doing a lot of other things that won't matter for eternity, but that will. And we're going to do that together. And they were doing this together, and there was great joy. They were all shouting together, worshiping together. How do we know they were worshiping? Well, the writer tells us that, for one, but how did he know? How did he know they were worshiping? Because worship is an outward expression of the passion inside of our hearts. It's an outward expression. It's visible. You can see it. It's Tangible. Want to know how you can know what you're passionate about? Well, it's measured by a couple things. I heard this once, that passion is measured by the pain you're willing to endure to achieve the goal. I think it was Louis Giglio that said that. But you could also tell what you're passionate about by very simply figuring out what you're most vocal or expressive about. And then that will come out of you, and that is worship. By the way, everybody worships. Everybody worships. Believers, non-believers, every human being worships. It's not a matter of whether or not you worship. It's who or what you worship. And you show me what you're most expressive about. 
You show me what you go the most out of your way for, and I will tell you who or what you worship. For some people, it's a sports team. For others, it's a political party. For some people, it's their sexuality. We could go down the list. It, 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 could be, it could be another person that you just love so much, you just have an unhealthy infatuation with. We all worship someone or something. Everybody worships, and it's visible. You can see it. There's this notion that worship is really just this personal thing, that it's between me and God and no one. It is personal, yes, but that's incomplete. It will have an outward expression. Not just in singing, per se. Although, yes, in singing. And I don't like singing. And no one likes to hear me sing, by the way. It's a joyful noise. It's what it is. Sounds like a coyote and a trash compactor. It's not good. <laughs> but God likes to hear me sing. Why do I still do it? Why? Because it's not about me. It's about him. I sing even when I don't like the songs we're singing. Can you believe that? Well, Pastor, there's songs you don't like. We all like, have songs we like and don't like, right? I sing whether, you know, we went to a Hillsong uh, concert, worship concert a while back, and it was amazing and just blew me away. We sang um, uh, one of their songs, and <laughs> it's not coming to my mind. <laughs> Uh, so will I. We sing so will I. And I just broke down. It was amazing. You know, all the lights and they had all the, all the stars moving around and it was great. And I worship. I worship when it's just one person. I worship if we're sitting around a campfire. Why? Because it's not about the production. It's not about my favorite worship leader. It's not about whether I like the song. It's not about how I feel that day. It's about Jesus. And whether that worship team or that song is the best or not, it's not about that. It's about him. He's always worthy of our praise, regardless of the situation. And it will always be in some way an outward expression, not just in singing, but in serving and how we live our life. Now, I have to tell you, this, is, this was a real challenge for me at first because I grew up Catholic. And so when we went to Catholic church, anybody? Okay. I thought worship was actually really, really boring when I went to Catholic church. And it might be why a lot of people don't go because... I don't even remember, I don't remember ever like singing along to anything at all. I remember like chants, which were weird at, to me at the time. Um, it, there, were, there would be somebody singing or chanting, and we would sit and watch. I remember there being incense. Anybody been in a Catholic church service where they're, they're waving around incense? You know, and they, they got the chain and they got the little container at the bottom of the chain with the holes in it and the smoke coming out and they're just waving it around. And um, I, I remember, I think when I was about five years old, we were at my grandmother's funeral. And uh, I, I don't remember much from when I was five, but I have a, a pretty good vague memory of this. And we were at, it was a Catholic funeral. And we were standing around the casket. Do you remember this? <laughs> and the priest was coming around with the incense. 
and I'm five years old, my, my head was like level with the container of incense. So it just walked right in my face. And I'm standing there in front of the casket. There's a bunch of people, and I'm starting to feel a little woozy from all the incense. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm five, and I don't, I'm not good at what I'm about to say. There's people who are, there's people who I know that are really, this is weird, but good at vomiting. Like they make it to the right place at the right time before it's time to happen. I never make it to the right place at the right time. I'm standing in front of the casket and it just comes right out. And I think some even got on the casket. Am I right? I vomited on my grandmother's casket. at a Catholic funeral because the incense was making me sick. <laughs> I think everybody was pretty understanding. I don't know, uh, you know, I, no one got mad. Did the priest get mad? Did the priest get mad? Everybody was pretty cool about it. I'm sure my grandmother didn't care. So, <laughs> here's the thing, that's my best memory of what it was to have worship in a Catholic church. I know lots of Catholics that love and do, in fact, worship Jesus, so don't misunderstand me, but when I was introduced to worship in a church like ours, it blew me away, really. Drums? Are you kidding me? Clapping? People raising their hands? I think when my dad first saw it, he said, where are the cameras? (laughs) I never had seen worship that was so visible you could see it and the fact is even if we're uncomfortable with it at first worship is always visible you're saying pastor i got to get loud during worship and expressive not necessarily this is not an instruction on how to properly hold your hand up and sing a song what is saying what i am saying is if Jesus is the passion of your life and hopefully is, and if he's not, make a decision to make him that way, then there will, there will be an outward expression of worship. In a service, whether it's a hand going up, whether it's singing even though you can't sing, maybe it's coming up to the front. There's a million different ways it can happen. It'll, it'll manifest that way. When you're living out your week from Monday through Saturday, it will show in your priorities and what you do, how you spend your time. There will always be an outward visibility. And can I just challenge you in this? To move beyond your comfort zone in worship settings like this. Why? Because it's not about you or me. It might feel different at first but it's about him and you may find out you probably will that God is waiting to draw you into deeper spiritual waters and this thing you've got to do is take a step away from the shore a visible step in worship to get there and in fact it's true right to get to deeper waters We have to move away from the safety of the shore. And the truth is, we only rob ourselves of a blessing when we don't step out and worship visibly. So they're all worshiping together. It's this grand event. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michal, 
looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in his heart, in her heart. Now, there's a lot going on here, but before we get into what she's doing that's wrong, I think we have to acknowledge that her life has been a pretty sad story up to now. At one point, she loved David. First Samuel tells us that she hid David from her father because she loved him. She was given to David in marriage as a prize, right? Not necessarily very romantic. It was a prize for getting 200 Philistine foreskins, <laughs> okay? She was given to him as a prize. Her father then gave her away to a different man to marry while all the other stuff was going on, and she actually fell in love with that man. She loved him. But then David has her summoned back to him and forces her to leave that man to live with David as one of his many wives. And she was the first wife. So before we get too judgmental of her despising him in her heart while he's worshiping, we have to at least acknowledge that there's some stuff there, right? And, and, and I don't want to fly over that. And, and, it, and she's not in a good place. But the first thing you're going to notice isn't that she despised him, but she looked down from the window. She was not participating in the worship. And despite all these things that he had done and her that went on in her life, David at that moment is doing the right thing. He's doing it the right way, and he's leading everyone else in Israel to worship God. He's doing the right thing there. That's the that's the weird irony of this. David's doing the right thing, Michal is not. And sometimes life's trials and offenses can rob us of the moments where God is doing great things. It's not to sweep her issues under the rug, but the only one she's hurting right now is herself. Why isn't she out there worshiping with the rest of them? They're having the time of their lives worshiping God, and she's sitting outside sulking. Let's ponder this for a minute. Was there one perfect person in that group in Israel worshiping? No. Should our imperfections, our sins, keep us from worshiping God? Absolutely not. Should someone else's imperfections or sins prevent us from worshiping God? No. Because worship isn't about how good we are or how good someone else is or how bad someone else has been to us. Worship is about how good God is. And even when others have hurt us, even when others that are worshiping that have hurt us, even when they let us down, when we decide to worship God because he's perfect, we're reminded, and, and it's a blessing to remember that there is a perfect love that drives away fear. And it reminds our souls of the goodness that he has towards us and it changes our hearts from the inside out and this is what Mikal is missing out on the very healing she needs in her heart the very healing she needs in her relationship with David would be found in worship 
And the same is true for you and I. The very healing you need in your life, physical or otherwise, the very healing you need in your relationships will be found in a heart of worship. And many times we go the opposite way like Michal, and many fall into that trap. Verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent. David had pitched for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of armies. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community, both men and women. Then all the people went home. So David puts it where it's going to be, and he blesses the people, right? And blessing others is also an act of worship. That was an act of worship. You may not be able to give an entire nation some date cakes or raisin cakes or even know how to make those things. <laughs> right? I, all I can think of is fruitcake when I read that. He's giving everybody fruitcake. Like, okay. So <laughs> it was probably better than, anyways. Okay. <laughs> you may not be able to do that for an entire nation or give cookies to everybody in the church, but you can speak blessings over people, blessings and not curses. Not because even that they deserve it, but because God is worth it. And every one of us is made in the image of God. Jesus said, when you give a glass of cold water in my name, you've done that to me. You want to find Jesus, you want to find the presence of God, worship by blessing other people. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter, Michal, came out to meet him. How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. I want to point out a couple things. Both times we're here about Michal, it's not David's wife, Michal. It's Saul's daughter, Michal. I think there's, there's something going on there. But she says, you've exposed yourself. I want to dispel a myth about this passage. Many people have heard about this passage, read this passage, and because of that verse, what sometimes gets taught, maybe you've been taught, is that David was dancing naked before the Lord <laughs> in front of everybody. He exposed himself. That's not what she is saying. What she's saying is he did not have his kingly garments on. The only thing he had on, as it said in the first part, is an ephod, which is a sleeveless, long shirt. So he, did, he didn't have his official kingly clothes on, and that's what she's saying. You didn't have all the things that set you aside as king. She was like her father a little bit in that she was very concerned with appearances. You're just going to go out there with everybody else, like everybody else with the common people? That's a shame. That, that is dishonoring the office of king. I can't believe you, what, how you just honor your, she's being sarcastic, she's being bitter. Because she thinks worship is about appearances. And it's not, it's about the heart. It's an outward expression that comes from the heart. But she's bitter, she's judgmental, she's not in a good place. And David just had this great day and this is what he comes home to. 
There's a message there too. Whoever's the one coming home from work, okay? <laughs> Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 21, David replied to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I was dancing before the Lord who chose me over your family. That, those are some strong words, right? And I will dance before the Lord and I'll dishonor myself and humble myself even more. However, by the slaves girl you sp slave girls you spoke, I will be honored. There was an old worship song that we used to sing. I'm not going to sing it because I told you. But it's, I'll become even more undignified than this. Some may say it's foolishness. And I, I remember back in the day when we sang it, I was under the impression that this verse was talking about David dancing naked. And I just thought, why are we singing this? <laughs> like, what's going to happen next, right? But there was... <laughs> I mean, it was early on, and my, you know, like, oh, this, you know, I just got out of Catholic church, and they got drums, and hands are going up, and now we're singing this song, like, oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> All right. So, but that's not what he was talking about. But he's saying, look, I'll dishonor myself even more if it honors God. And remember something. I'm king. Your dad isn't. And if I want to dance before the Lord, I will. And if I want to dishonor myself by worshiping the Lord, I will dishonor myself even more. And this is what the house of Saul never understood about being king, save Jonathan maybe. Serving God's people as king is not about honoring yourself, it's about honoring God. Serving Jesus is not about honoring ourselves, it's about honoring God. Serving Jesus is not about getting what we want from him, what we think we need from him, him making our lives easy, it's about honoring him because he is worthy of honor. He does look after us, he does care for us, but if you step into a relationship with God because you think he's gonna come in and fix all your problems, you're gonna be disappointed. That might be what draws us to him initially. Probably all of us get drawn to God at one point or another because of a need we have in our lives. And I think he's okay with that at first. But eventually, as you continue to serve the Lord and as you continue to grow your roots deep in the Lord and you get discipled, you go to life groups and you pray and you come to prayer meetings and you, 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 just, you, you grow, you begin to find out this wasn't really about me at all. God gives me great purpose. Why? For him. He actually gives purpose to my pain. He doesn't always remove my pain, but he gives purpose to my pain. Because that's who he is. And that's what worship is about. And Michal wasn't getting it. And David was. James chapter 4 verse 10 says this. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Verse 23. And Saul's daughter Michal had no children to the day of her death sad really that was a, really a fulfillment of prophecy because Samuel had told Saul nobody from your line is going to be king ever again so you know when we were working on this message earlier this week I was talking to Pastor Micah and that was kind of 
the conclusion of that verse. Well, of course she didn't have children because Samuel said they wouldn't, you know, there, there would be no king from his line. And Pastor Micah said something that really caught my attention. He said, yeah, but she could have had a daughter. I stopped and I thought, because it would have to be a son to become king at that time. And I thought, well, yeah, she could have had a daughter. So what? You know how lonely her life was after this scene took place? Because what this is also saying is because of that, because of her bitterness, her inability to worship through it, it created a permanent disconnect between her and her husband where they never slept together ever again. That's also what this means. And this is speculation, granted. But had she worshiped through the pain and allowed God to heal those things in her heart and restore her relationship to her husband, her life could have been very different in spite of that prophecy. You get what I'm saying here? She, she could have had those things. And her bitterness robbed her of it. Whether it's bitterness or anything else, when we allow things in this life to hold us back from worshiping Jesus, we have no idea what our choices are robbing us of. Worship unlocks our hearts so they can be healed, and worship unlocks God's blessings to go to work in our lives. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, which Jews never talked to Samaritans. It was a really big deal. Like, what are you doing talking to a Samaritan? It's the woman at the well. And uh, they're talking about worship, and he tells her, there's a time coming when real worshipers, true worshipers, are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. And she received that. She was open to that. And do you know what the blessing was that was bestowed on her? The Samaritan woman who had five husbands, the most unlikely candidate, was one of the first people that Jesus revealed himself to as the Messiah. And she's remembered forever in the scriptures. What a legacy. He didn't solve all her problems there but she received what he had to say and she worshipped and we're still talking about her today she wasn't perfect far from it and God still blessed her you think Jesus won't bless your worship because of your imperfections David had the ark of the covenant the most, one of the most important parts of the ark was the lid it was made out of gold and it was called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was where they would sprinkle blood and is where God would meet with people. We don't have the ark. David had the ark. That was, that was what he was celebrating. That was where his worship began. We have Jesus. He is our mercy seat. And worship begins at the mercy seat. He is that one. It begins with Jesus. Before any of us ever realized we even needed a mercy seat or needed a savior, he pursued us. He pursued you. He pursued me. And the question about worship is, what is your response going to be to a perfect God in heaven coming to you and coming to us to live a life here 
to die for our sin and open his arms, offering you forgiveness and healing and restoration. What is your response going to be to a God like that? That's worship. That's our, our worship is our response. Are we doing that? An outward expression of the passion in our heart. Sometimes it looks like joyful exuberance. Sometimes it looks like powering through life's troubles. To, enough to the point where people say, I don't know how they're doing it. And you get the opportunity to say, only God, brother. Outward expression of the passion in our heart and a source of joy. David didn't have the cross like we do. But when Jesus said it is finished, he opened the Holy of Holies. And his presence has been with us ever since. And our response is worship. And it unlocks the rest of all of those things that God has for us. And David's saying that here. Let's pray. Jesus. You first sought us. That's amazing. And we see in the life of David so many things that we could learn about you and learn about how we can have a relationship with you. David's relationship with you, Lord, it's something, I think we all want to have a relationship like that. And those times when there's great joy in your presence, where we could just go with reckless abandon and be free as children, really, to worship. Don't, we don't have to, we could throw off all the pretenses of the world like he threw off his kingly garments and just be free in your presence. God, for many of us, life's troubles hold us back. The hurts, the confusion, things we don't have figured out sometimes they hold us back and the message is clear Holy Spirit bring this home I pray that the healing comes in the worship worship is the strategy it's the 12th step it's everything I pray for freedom here this morning in worship God I pray for everyone in here to be moved to step outside their comfort zones, to step away from the shore, whether it's in a service, whether it's to sign up to serve, whether it's to go out of their way somewhere for someone at work. God, that they would be moved by your spirit to step away from the shore and worship. with your eyes closed for just a minute. Say, Pastor Mike, there's things in my life. You talk about Mikkel and all the things she went through. 
And if I'm being real honest today, I understand that because there's things in my life that have held me back from really worshiping. And I want to be free of those things. That's me. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Let me know. I want to pray for you. There's things, there's hurts that people have committed in me. Maybe it's even people in the church. The world is talking about church hurt left and right. And it's real, and I'm not, I don't want to negate that. But Jesus is still worth it. And he's the only one that's perfect. You say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. Amen. One more question, and then we're going to stand. Say, I want to take a step away from the shore. I want to take a step out of my comfort zone. I want to respond more outwardly about my passion for Jesus and what he's done for me. Would you pray for me to have the courage, Pastor? That's me. Would you raise your hand? That's you. Amen. Yeah. Pray, God, give me the courage. Amen. To step out. Yeah. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.